got your Bible or um, a, a device, you'll be looking at the passage with us this morning. We'll be in Luke chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 1. Um, as, you're, as you're turning or typing and, and getting to Luke 11, just a little bit of recap. We've been working our way through Luke now for a while over the last uh, couple months. Um, and we'll be here for a while as we just kind of go through chapter by chapter. Um, and, and over the last couple of weeks, what we're really seeing is, is that Jesus, at this stage in Luke, has set his, his face, his resolve, towards Jerusalem. And he is headed with purpose and with intent to Jerusalem, knowing that that ultimately means his death um, and, and his, his death on our behalf, right? His resurrection. Um, but there's going to be pain involved in that. And so the disciples are still figuring out what it looks like for the Messiah to be not a conquering Messiah in, in human terms, but a suffering Messiah. And so he is teaching and growing and shaping them as they kind of head towards Jerusalem. And so Luke has compiled this section to make sure that we just see some of the ins and outs and the stories and what it is that Jesus is helping the disciples see. And over the last couple weeks and, and as well into this week, what we're seeing is what does it look like to be a disciple? What does it look like to be one that belongs to Jesus? And so two weeks ago, we have the familiar passage of, of the Good Samaritan, right? And we, and we realize the question isn't, who is my neighbor? The question is, am I a neighbor, right? Like, am I living in a way that reflects the character and the image of God to others? Because that's what we've been called to, because we've been loved that way by Jesus, right? As we love Him with our whole heart and our mind and our strength, right? As we love Him this way, one of the things we're doing is we're being a neighbor. Um, then last week, we saw the story of Mary and Martha, right? Where Martha says, hey, Jesus, Mary should come help me serve. And Jesus graciously, tenderly ministers to Martha, but says, Mary has chosen the right thing. Like, she has devoted herself to me. And we saw then that, that Jesus, right, is, is first priority. And that we can feast because we've been invited to the table to belong to him, that we want more of him. And so being a disciple is being a neighbor. It's, it's having our primary attention and focus and priority on Christ. And now this morning we're going to see how that relates to prayer and our interaction with God through prayer. Okay, So let's read beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John, meaning John the Baptist, taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, Don't bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, 
finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so we have this section now on prayer, as we've looked at how, what does it look like to be a disciple. And I'm not aware of anyone who, who really would look at prayer and go, I've got that down. Like, my prayer life is perfect, right? I don't really have anything to grow or to learn there. I'm good. If we're honest, I think we all probably struggle more in regards to prayer than we would like. Right? We, we want it to be more robust. We want it to be more consistent. We want it to be more fill-in-the-blank. And it's more of a struggle when it feels elementary than maybe we would like. So I want us to notice a couple things here as we, as we jump into this. One, that Jesus was praying. Like He's not just giving a sermon here on prayer. He is praying. And as the disciples are going, okay, we're trying to emulate Him. We're trying to look like Him. They see Him praying. And Luke has commented in chapter 3, in chapter 5, in chapter 6, in chapter 9, and now here in 11, that Jesus is often off praying. This is something the disciples have seen and watched. And so they go to Him and they say, hey, will you teach us how to pray? Like John's disciples have been taught to pray by Him, will you teach us how to pray? If you remember earlier in Luke 5, um, they, they were asked of Jesus' disciples, hey, why don't you fast? Because John the Baptist's disciples fast. And Jesus responds, listen, there will be a day where they need to fast. Right now they don't fast because the bridegroom is here, right? The, the one who the party is about is here. Now, people didn't grasp what he was saying. They didn't understand the significance of it. But there's, there was this idea that as you looked out at different rabbis and teachers and instructors, that you would say, okay, wait a second, here's what they're doing. What do we have that looks like that? And so people are saying, hey, we know that John's teaching his disciples to pray. Jesus, you're praying. Will you teach us to pray? And so we see then this, this beautiful prayer that most of us, if, we, if I had just started and said, right, we could have finished it. Um, we probably would have quoted the section from Matthew, which is a little more um, lengthy than the one from Luke, but we could have quoted it. And look in verse 2. So he says to them, when you pray, say. I, I, I just love the simplicity here that he's just, just going to begin to lay it out. And he starts with Father. And we can quickly blow past that word. And yet the significance here of Father, that, he, that God is caring, that He's kind, that He's approachable, that He's knowable. Right? It's not distant one. It's not God. It's Father. Father, listen, when your kids see you, and it's maybe been a moment, they don't go, hey, can I go see Dad? Like, they come running, right? Like, they come running. They're not asking for permission. They go to Dad because they know Dad. They can approach Dad. They love Dad. Um, they, they're probably going to fight with Dad, but they're, right, they're going there to wrestle him. And in the Old Testament, we see God referred to as Father Son, but it's actually, it's rare, it's not something that typically Jews would have addressed God as Father. Um, we see in, in uh, Isaiah 63, I'm going to read from Deuteronomy 32, actually, uh, beginning in verse uh, 
6. This is, this is Moses. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is He not your Father who created you, who made you, and established you? In Exodus 4, in, in um, Isaiah 63, we see these, these references to God saying, listen, I'm the Father to the nation of Israel. Like, I'm, I am your Father. But typically, God was not referred to as Father in prayer. And, and the reason being, we would see at Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments are given, right? And there's thunder, and there's fire, and there's smoke, and there's trembling. And he's like, if you touch the mountain, you die. And they're like, hey, that was God's presence. Doesn't feel real approachable, right? We see the tabernacle, right, where there's a separation built in the tabernacle and the temple both, where you, you, know, you had to go in, and only on one day a year would the priest go in, and there was a fear that he could drop dead before the holy presence of God because of the sacrificial system. All of these things had created a level of distance, right? Of, hey, God is Father, but He's, he's distant. And so this idea that Jesus would say, I want you to pray this way and say, Father is scandalous. It's, it's strange, it's, it's unusual, and, and scandalous isn't probably too far of a word, because listen to what John writes in chapter 5, verse 18. We'll start in verse 17. Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I'm working. And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. So for Jesus, right, this is one of the reasons the religious elite are going to want to kill Him. He then tells His disciples, call God Father. He's going to be knowable. He's going to be approachable. I want you to call Him Father that we would not run past and take this for granted this morning. We've heard God called Father for our, all of our lives. But this is a, is a new thing that is happening here. And it is because of Jesus that we can. Right? Even the, the ability to call God Father is because Jesus right, has come in our place and has satisfied the wrath of God, has done what we cannot do and made put us at peace with God, prepared a way for us back to Him so that we can call Him Father and not simply drop dead in His holiness. That He has made a path, made a way, and restored a right relationship that we are adopted sons and daughters of the King because of Jesus. Jesus calls us to say Father, but He also makes the way where we're able to do that. And so we start with Father. Hallowed be Your name. Hallowed is not a word we use a ton. But basically, this is um, to consecrate, to set apart, to make holy. And this is actually um, is a request. Like in this prayer, what we're saying, what he's teaching us to say is, God, make your name known. Make your name holy. Make your name set apart. It's not a request that we do this. It's not a, even a reference that He is that, although we know that He is. It's saying, God, You continue to make Your name famous and known and holy throughout the world. Let's look again at a couple of Old Testament passages. Uh, the first being um, in Ezekiel, chapter 36. Uh, it'll be on the screen behind me if you don't want to turn there. This is beginning 
and verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. So he says, I'm not, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it because of my name. You've actually profaned my name, but I'm going to do something for my glory. Verse 23, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which is profaned, has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you into your own land. So he's saying, I'm going to act on your behalf. I'm going to do these things that you don't deserve. And it's not for your good alone. It's for my name. So that people will see I am who I say that I am. So that my character is on display and that people will give glory and worship to my holy name. If you go over to Ezekiel 36.36 later in that chapter, he says this, Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I've rebuilt the ruined places. I've replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. You will see this theme and this idea throughout the Psalms if you read and are looking for it. I'll give you two. I'm in Psalm 79.9. Help us, God of our salvation, for the glory of Your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for Your name's sake. He's not saying, God, do it because of us. He's saying, God, do it because it shows who You are. It shows Your grace and Your power and Your mercy and Your holiness and Your glory. When You do these things for us, You get the credit. So God, would You do it? Even in Psalm 23, right? Have you noticed this line? This is Psalm 23, 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For what? For His name's sake. That He's doing it for His glory, for His honor. And so when we're praying in Luke 11, Father, knowable, approachable Father, hallowed be Your name, we're saying, God, continue to make Your name known. Continue to make sure people see You for who You are, that Your glory is filling the earth and that it's spreading, that we see it rightly. And so now imagine the roteness in which this prayer is often prayed. Just mindless. Right? Like we say it because it just, it just flows, right? It just comes off the tongue. You see it in sports all the time, right? Where there's this like hands in and this, this like mindless Lord's Prayer. But what we're saying is, God, make your name known. Not make your name forgotten. Make your name glorified and seen. It's why as a church we want to be gospel-centered because we want His name to be the focus, the heart, the center of everything that we do. Right? That He has made a way for us to know Him through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That where we were separated and enemies and rebels, God has brought us in as sons and daughters of the living King. He's done the work, not us. So for His name, would He receive the glory? So the question that we could even begin to ask this morning is where in our lives, individually and corporately, are we not hallowing His name? Are we not glorifying Him? Because if we're going to pray, God, Your name be hallowed, Your name be glorified, we have to ask, are we doing that? Are we glorifying and living in a manner that would show that His name 
is glorious, that His action is glorious, that His character is glorious. So we want that this morning. God, in the sermon, would Your name be glorified, not Redeemer's, not Jeremy's. God, in the worship this morning, would Your name be glorified? Would we turn our attention and our affection to You, not in the ability that's on the stage? God, as we parent, God, would we do it to point our children to You and Your name and Your glory because You're a better Father than I'll ever be. And You love my children more than me. So it's not for my fame or my recognition, it's for Yours. God, when I am fair and equitable and just at work, not so I can beat my chest, but so that we can say I'm imaging the true King whose kingdom is coming forth. Right? We see that in the very next line. Hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom come. This is also a request. God, let Your kingdom continue to break forth and be seen. That we want people to see hope and love and justice and righteousness and healing and peace. And so these requests of God make Your name glorified and God let Your kingdom come forth, right? we're saying we want people to see You rightly. We want people to see what is coming and what is breaking forth and what we have to hope in in eternity. God, would people treasure You? Would they see You rightly? He's saying You're going to do it. The question is, are we going to acknowledge it? That His name is worthy. That His kingdom is good. And that He is our treasure. It is happening whether we want it to or not. How will we respond to it? Do we see it and go, yeah, more of that, more of You? Or do we rebel against it? Do we oppose it? Scoff at it? So he continues, Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. And then there's three quick requests here. Verse 3, Give us each day our daily bread. It's a reminder of provision, of dependence, that we are dependent upon God to provide even daily our needs. So also a good reminder that here we don't see a, a, a Santa Claus list of wants. Right, but it's a recognition of God. I am dependent upon your provision in my life for the things that I need. And this is both physical as well as spiritual. Because really what he's bringing our attention to is Exodus 16. And the fact that in the wilderness, God provided daily bread to Israel through manna. Right, that they were to get up every day and gather what their family could eat. Because he was providing for them where there was no food. And he says, but if you take more than you need, it's going to be rotten the next day. Why? So that you'll trust that I'll do it again tomorrow. So you'll trust that I'll be there and provide again tomorrow. So what we're saying here is we say, give us our daily bread is, God, would we trust that you're caring for us both physically and spiritually, morning in and morning out, day in and day out, circumstance after circumstance, situation after situation, that you see us, that you care for us, and that you are meeting these needs. We're also saying, God, we recognize we live in a broken world. That your kingdom still needs to come to bear fully. We're around evil, we're around sin, we're around brokenness. Would you give us what we need in the midst of that? To stay faithful to you, to trust you, to see you as good, Right? That's, we see that played out in verse 4. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted 
to us. It's a reminder that we were in need of forgiveness. Right? That we don't just inherit this, that we were rebels, and God has rescued us and has forgiven us. That's what has made us His. And so if we have this understanding, this awareness of who He is, that should then, as a disciple, impact the way we live. And so if we've received forgiveness, we offer forgiveness. He's not saying that it's conditional here, that if you don't forgive, right? He's saying an awareness of forgiveness means we offer what we've received. It flows through us, that we are conduits of it. We know folks in this world who don't yet know Jesus and yet forgive people. And so it's kind of this argument of from the lesser to the greater. He's like, if even you can forgive people, how much more do you think God is willing to forgive you? Would we not forget that we have been a, we're a forgiven people? As we live in the midst of a broken world, asking for His name to be glorified, asking for His kingdom to break forth, People are going to sin against us. We're going to need forgiveness, and they are. So God, would we not forget you've forgiven us of much so that we would gladly offer it to others? How much more will He? And then, and lead us not into temptation. Listen, this is not a fear of God testing us or tempting us to sin. This, once again, is an awareness that we have need because we're weak and we are confessing, God, I don't want to rebel against You. I don't want to displease You. I don't want to not glorify Your name, but I know I'm going to be tempted to. There's going to be opportunity to. God, would You help me be faithful? Would You help me be faithful in every arena of my life? I'm asking You, help me to be dependent. Think about where the disciples are going to need this. Peter is going to deny Jesus. He is not going to glorify His name. He is going to profane and de- defile His name like we see in Ezekiel 36. Right? He's going to need forgiveness. He's going to need a reminder that, God, I can, I can fall. I can fall in sin. I need You. I'm confessing my need. That we would be reminded that just because we know Jesus doesn't mean we can't trip and fall, bring shame upon His name. And so we're confessing God today at work, God today in my parenting, where I'm on my last nerve, God today in my marriage, where we're just butting heads, God today in my finances, where it feels like there's never enough. Don't let me be tempted to sin. Don't let me fall in a way that would dishonor your name. And God, I confess I might. I want to. So help me. Remind me that I need you and I have hope and I have peace and I have access to help. And God, that you're not trying to see, oh, is he going to fall or not? That you are calling me to depend upon the glorious one whose kingdom is breaking forth. When we trust God for provision physically and spiritually, when we forgive those who need forgiving, and when we stand in circumstances that most would have fallen because we've trusted Jesus, we are displaying the glory of God. We are displaying that His kingdom has indeed broken forth and is going to continue in greater and greater effect. And so this prayer is thematic. Like We can pray this prayer as is, but the point are the themes of the prayer. God, we want Your name to be great 
And we want people to see your kingdom. So would you do that? We can't do that. Would you do that? But we know that as you forgive us and then as we forgive, as you provide for us, as we stand in the face of a broken world, that your glory is on display. That your kingdom is being shown to be real and true and is breaking forth. And do you notice the corporate aspect of this prayer? He says, when you pray, say. And then look at verse 3. Give us each our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Lead us. Right? It's this idea that we're praying this together. We are doing this together. We are not alone. Um, we're not lone rangers in this. We are a corporate body. We are a family of God putting the kingdom of God on display because we've received it and been recipients of it. And so he's, he continues then with this, um, this prayer and then he gives two more themes that he wants us to learn in, in spite of this as well. He continues. And the first is he tells a story. And in the Middle East, remember, hosting and hospitality is one of the principal virtues. Right? And so even to this day, that if you were to eat a meal with a Middle Eastern family, they would often keep potentially the women, or if not the women, the children, from eating until you've had your full. Right? Until you're satisfied. Because the, the most shameful thing they could imagine would be to have a guest and them not be satisfied. Like that, that's just kind of driven by the culture. And we have a scene here where he says, listen, let me paint a picture. If one of you has a friend unexpectedly show up at midnight and you've got nothing, why? Because you cook your food daily, right? You don't have a refrigerator, like you're not saving things, and you find you have nothing to feed your guests, what are you going to do? He's like, you're going to go to your neighbor, your friend, and you're going to see do they have anything so that you can fulfill the role of hospitality that's been brought upon you. And your friend at midnight goes, hey man, um, the family all sleeps in the same room. I got kids in here. And it's going to be chaos if everybody wakes up. Right? Like it, it's, it's supposed to be kind of a humorous situation of, don't make me wake them up. Like, then everyone's going to be up. And this, it's not going to go well, so just go away. And he's like, ah, man, I really need that bread. And so he says, he doesn't get up because of his friendship to you. He gets up, right? Because you're not going away. You're going to keep asking. And he would do the same thing. He's like, well, of course they're going to give you the bread. Of course they're going to answer. Because that's what we do in our culture. And so often we look at this and we say it's, it's about persistence. And persistence is part of it. But it's also about boldness. Because what situation do you have to be in to go knock on your neighbor's door at midnight? It, right? Like, what time of day? You probably all have a rule of thumb when you look at your clock on your phone and you go, oh, it's fill in the blank time. I'm not sure if I should call. Right? And it's different for everybody, but you've got a time where you're like, ah, they might be asleep, where it feels impolite. But there are situations that you can fathom. It's like, it doesn't matter if it's 2.30 in the morning. It doesn't matter if I know they're asleep right now. I'm calling because this has happened. And so what Jesus is calling us to here is boldness. He's like, this man went and knocked on his neighbor's house at midnight for bread. I'm telling you, 
You get to boldly approach the throne room of grace. You get to go before the God of the universe, the creator and the sustainer, and boldly ask, Not only am I telling you you can, I'm telling you you should. I'm telling you this is what I want you to do. And He's not going to be, right, the irritable friend. His character is good. And so if, if, if in irritating your neighbor you get what you want, how much more will you get what you need when you go to one who is gracious? So boldly go. Sometimes I think we don't pray because we don't think God cares. He doesn't hear us, and it's like, oh, we're, he's distant. And what Jesus is saying is, no, he's Father, and he is holy, but you boldly go, and you request because he's a good dad who wants to hear your request. And look, he continues to make sure that we get the point, that we get the character of this, because he continues in verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake, and if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? He's saying, you're not perfect people. You're not God. And yet when your kids ask you for something, you give them what they need. You give them the good thing, the right thing. Even yesterday, I was at the store, and we're pulling up, and Janner goes, hey, Dad, are you going to buy me anything? And I said, well, Janner, did you bring any money? He goes, no, but you did. Right, and he's three, and it wasn't in a, like, Boiled, selfish way yet. It'll, that's coming, right? But it was in just a, but you're my dad. You got it. And you love me. So of course you'll do that. And, um, right, the, the, the motive matters. But as a three-year-old, I, I love that. That he believes that there's an endless supply of which there isn't. Right? That he believes... That, that there's a generosity and an abundance and a care for him that's just like, I ask boldly because my dad is good. And what Jesus is telling us this morning is, your dad's good. Ask boldly. Because if you who are wicked will give your kids what they need when they ask for it, how much more will a gracious God give you what you need? And like a good father, he knows what you need, and it's not always what you ask for. And so this isn't a carte blanche, I'm just going to ask for it because God gives it to me. He knows you. And so I, my kids have asked for things like, you know, chainsaws and knives. And I mean, like, right, like, and I'm like, well, he asked. I got to do it. Like, we, as a good father, right, you give your kid what they need, not just what they ask for. And our father gives us what we need, not always what we ask for. But Jesus is saying, he's good. And you should ask him boldly because he's gracious. So this morning, you've been asked to and given permission to boldly approach the throne room of grace. We call it prayer. And it's costly. right? It costs Jesus so that it doesn't cost you. And God's character is being revealed to us as gracious, as willing, as eager to listen, because we think of him as an approachable father, of which he is. And then we're reminded that he will respond. He will. And the, the proof of this that, that Luke and Jesus give us here is verse 13. Because the Heavenly Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. 
why Jesus will tell the disciples later, it's better for you that I leave. Because you're going to get the indwelling Spirit who is a seal, a down payment on all the promises of God that you can cling to and hope in that when things are difficult and when circumstances are hard, you can be reminded, I have the Holy Spirit. This is true, so that will be true. God will see me through. He is my guide. He is my comfort. He, he helps me understand. He equips me. He empowers me. He is God's presence in me. He is the love of God ministering to us until our faith is made sight one day. And so it says, God has given you the Holy Spirit. Like, What's He going to withhold from you? God has given us everything we need in Jesus. What is He going to withhold from us? So one final thing as we finish this section. Here's how we do this, right? I want you to just think about a situation. Maybe, maybe it's your marriage, right? Or, so maybe it's you praying for you, or maybe it's you praying for someone else's. And you say, okay, God, when they know that your father... I know they're struggling right now. Well, they know your dad, that you are approachable, that they can go to you, that, they, that you're knowable, and that you want them to come to you. God, would you reveal your glory and your kingdom in their marriage? God, so there would be fairness, and there would be justice, and there would be righteousness, and there would be hope, and there would be healing, and there would be peace. And right now we know there's a lack of peace. So God, bring peace, because that's what your kingdom does. And, and if you do this, God, your name is glorified. Oh, God, would you do that for them? God, would you do that for me? God, daily they're going to doubt whether you're going to do this. So would you meet them today? Would your mercies be new to them today? Would your word be real? And, and would they taste and see that you're good? And when they fight this afternoon, would you remind them again? And, and when, when he says something stupid tonight, would you remind her, right? You begin to pray through this prayer, right? God, that they would know You, that Your kingdom would come to bear, that, that You would be glorified because of the work that You're doing, because we can't do it. Would You do it? Would You meet them daily in their circumstances, physically and spiritually? God, would they forgive and be reminded that You've forgiven them? Oh, God, I'm so mad at Carmen, right? Would You, for, would you help me forgive her? Because I'm reminded that You've forgiven me. That's not... Right, a mantra there, it is a reminder that I have needed far more forgiveness than she has. And lead us not into temptation. God, I'm going to be tempted to do what I want. They're going to be tempted to do what they want. And we're weak, and we confess our weakness. But would you make them strong? That they would stand so that your name would be glorified. Listen, we can do that for success. God, when we're successful, would we be reminded that it's your kingdom coming to bear and not mine? God, when I fail, would I be reminded that it's your kingdom coming to bear and not mine and that you're glorifying yourself and that you're still dad and my success or failure isn't the, ma- the means in which I get to come to you? It's Jesus. And that you call me adopted son or daughter because of Jesus, not because I failed or I succeeded. They're sick. Let your kingdom healing come. God, would you glorify yourself in healing them? God, is that what you would have? Would you do that? Would you glorify it in your kingdom coming to bear that your name would be known? 
Oh, but God, if that's not what you have because you're a good dad and you know what they need, we're going to ask for this, but if that's not what you have, would you meet them in every circumstance? Would you be their daily bread in every moment, in every situation, in every doubt, in every worry, in every fear, and in every moment? Would your word, would you be reminding us that it's not by bread that man lives, but it's on the word of God? And so would you overwhelm them with your presence because you've left us your spirit as a comforter and you've given us your word to minister to us. And now all of a sudden the Lord's Prayer is not something rote that we chant at a football game. But it is the very heartbeat of Jesus in teaching us to pray. To know the glory of God in our life and in the lives of others corporately. Because His kingdom is breaking forth. Whether we like it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, it's coming. And so the question is, is do we see it and do we want it and do we acknowledge it? This morning, the band is going to come back up and we're going to sing to the same King who we get to pray to. And if the Spirit is ministering and moving, you, you feel free to stand, you feel free to sit. If you need to talk to someone or pray with someone, there'll be folks that you can, in the back of the room, you can do that. The Lord's Supper is also set out. And at any point during the next three songs, you're welcome as an individual or with someone else to get up and go take the Lord's Supper. Um, it, it, we do say that the Supper is for believers. It's those who have trusted that Jesus is their bread. Right? Their body broke, His body broken so yours isn't. His blood shed so that yours isn't. And so as you take that, you're reminded that, that Jesus calls you son or daughter today, not because of your merit, but because of Jesus's. If you haven't trusted Jesus yet for that, right, then, then the call would be to trust Him. And if you need someone to talk to or pray with about that, they'll be there in the back of the room. So we would, would call you to do that. Let me pray for us and we'll respond to King Jesus this morning. Father, would we not see prayer as rote, as meaningless, as unimpactful, God, will we be reminded of what it is we are asking for and that you have called us to come to a knowable, gracious, approachable Father. God, that we wouldn't do it out of arrogance. We wouldn't feel like we can twist your arm, but we would come as humble, dependent sons and daughters. For your glory and for your name's sake, not our own. So Lord, would you move in these moments where there would be confession of sin, there would be forgiveness, there would be peace, there would be salvation, there would be worship, and that you would be glorified. And we would do it together. In Jesus' name, amen.